What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 73 of the Around the Crease podcast. This week, I'm talking about a lot of the high school lacrosse coaching changes that have happened over the last few weeks, and there are a number of big ones. So let's get into it. What's going on, everybody? Mike here, and this week, it's going to be just me, and I'm kind of going to be going through some of the I guess high school across landscape changes that have happened over the last few weeks. Like it's been a crazy few weeks of uh, since the season ended. I know for probably a lot of you, the season's been over for <laughs> quite a while. But you know, when you're looking at the the national landscape, Massachusetts didn't really finish till you know mid June, almost uh, the third week in June. So there's been a lot going on in the Northeast over the last few weeks, and even in the Mid Atlantic and the Midwest. Like there's been a lot of coaching changes and things that have happening. So I want to talk a lot about those today and actually have Chris Goldberg from phillylacrosse.com to talk about kind of the the Philly landscape because two of the winningest head coaches in that area and really of all time both stepped down uh, this year under different circumstances. Um, so we're going to get into that uh, kind of a little bit later into the show. But before we kind of get into everything, I kind of want to let everybody know if you go to laxrecords.com slash gear, um, you know, I haven't done a really good job of promoting this, but I do have a number of like t-shirts and stickers and kind of stuff like that. Uh, it was another way for me to kind of create um, a way for people to support the show, support laxrecords.com. Because for anybody who doesn't know, I, laxrecords.com is a 501c3. So donations really do help a big chunk of me just kind of covering the operating costs of running a website in the modern age. But also I realized like some people like me want to have some some stuff to show for it. So if you go to laxrecords.com slash gear, there's a pretty big selection of, of different t-shirts uh, and apparel that you can, you can get from there. So uh, anything you can do to help support the show and the website is really appreciated and really helps out. But for now, let's get into a lot of the coaching changes. Um, I think first, I really want to talk about one of the, the I guess, first hammers to fall. Um, you know, I, I put, I, I'll post a list of uh, coaching changes that I wrote last week. Um, I published that, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday of last week. But I want to talk about the Seton Hall prep change because this is one of the few that actually... I guess resulted in a firing um, for the most part that I'm that I am aware of. Like I'm sure there's way more coaching changes that have happened around the country, but these are going to be the ones that I'm aware of. So if you know of any any of them, um, any more, please shoot me an email. You can go to the laxrecords.com and slash um, do the contact um, option. You know laxrecords.com/contact, and that'll send me an email, um, or you can just email me at mloveday at laxrecords.com. But, you know, one of the big ones this season was Seton Hall Prep out of New Jersey. They were coming off a 21-2 and season, uh, but the school uh, fired, not renewing the contract, however you want to refer to it, um, you know, laid off, <laughs> however you reference it. Um, but David Giarusso was let go in kind of late June. Um, he had compiled a record of 167-61 and 61, uh, just at Seton Hall Prep. You know, he came from originally came from California, where he used to be the head coach at St. Ignatius Prep, who a lot of you probably know is one of the you know preeminent California programs um, under head coach Chris Packard. But he was there in the late 90s, early 2000s, and he went 94 and seven with the Wildcats. 
So he has a complete record of 261 and 68. So it's one of those situations where, you know, Gia Russo, like he, he went to Pingree School after he left St. Ignatius Prep. He was an assistant there, and then he took the coaching job at, at Seton Hall Prep. So it's kind of one of those situations where, you know, especially coming off a 21-2 and two season, um, it was a little bit of a shock. I mean, Seton Hall Prep was nationally ranked for much of the season. I think they were ranked among the top 10 uh, for, for a chunk of the year. So it was one of those, like, this was a little bit of a surprise. You don't usually see coaches um, with that kind of success and record behind them just not getting renewed. Now, the NJ.com story, which I will link to, did kind of reference that it may have been the ultimate result of another infraction, whatever you want to call it, um, earlier in the year where he actually had to sit out a couple games. So, But the school was not commenting on the exact nature of it um and neither was coach Gia Russo. so but i this is one of those situations where as we'll kind of get into a little bit later with uh chris goldberg from philly com. i don't expect seton hall prep to really fall off the map like they have a fantastic program there whoever they get will more than likely just kind of keep the the machine running uh, for the most part i still expect them and like del barton to be the top two like prep a um, programs uh, year in, year out. So uh, if nothing else, like I kind of am going to be very curious where Gia Russo kind of pops up because that's always one of those, like when you get coaches as, you know, we read earlier this year with coach John Nostrant at Haverford school, him stepping down and him moving over to Gilman school, that really just kind of, you know, adds to the landscape a lot. I mean, I know Gilman school's already, you know, a very powerhouse program, but I expect Nostrant to kind of take them, to um you know another level i guess if you want to call that so i'm kind of wondering about the same thing with gia russo um leaving seton hall prep like where's he going to pop up next is he going to go to another new jersey program is he going to go somewhere else like i know with high school coaches a lot of times like you don't get guys that just you know the moving across the country is not the the norm of the situation because everybody has families, um, wives have, you know, jobs in the area, kids are in school. You know, it's one of those things like it's not so easy. It's not like a college coaching job where you're talking, you're making seven figures and you can be like, all right, we're going to uproot the family. We're going to move more across the country and take this head coaching job. So it'll be interesting to see where he lands, obviously, in that New Jersey, mid-Atlantic area. Uh, there's probably a number of options for him, you know, New York. Pennsylvania, Delaware, um, depending on where, where they're located at and the drive, like there's, there's, uh, opportunities plenty in that area. So it'll be interesting to see where he pops up and is he going to be at a program that already has the, the legendary status or is he going to start a program or not start a program, but take over a program and kind of elevate them. So I think that's one really to keep an eye on over the next, uh, you know, a few weeks, we'll kind of see how, how fast that, um, where, where he ends up landing, um, and seeing where that, so that's, uh, probably the biggest one that, that I have, am noting so far, but there are a couple other interesting notes, um, from, from this past season, Dean Corkum, he's been the head coach at Essex Junction in Vermont for 29 years. He announced his retirement, um, and he was 280 and 181 in his career, and he won three state championships. This is one of those guys, obviously, for 29 years. He far predates my coverage of high school across by almost 20 years, but so it's, it's he's been there a long time, but it's also one of those where Essex Junction is one of the preeminent programs out of Vermont. Like I know Vermont's probably not a state that most of um, the lacrosse world really looks at when it comes to 
just lacrosse in general, because a lot of the Vermont programs, they don't really get out of their state and play too many teams like across the country. Like they usually for the most part stick to the New England area. And a lot of that just has to do with shortened seasons and when they start other teams end and stuff like that. So, but you know, he announced his retirement. That was a pretty big deal. Um, that really kind of jumped onto my radar just because he's been there so long. And, uh, Essex Junction is considering like almost one of those teams that you can kind of pencil them in for a final four championship berth year in and year out. So uh, congratulations to Coach Corkum on uh, a well-earned retirement, and hopefully he gets to to enjoy that. Um, a couple other ones, we're going to just kind of bump over to the to the Midwest really quick because there was two big ones that jumped onto my radar over the last couple weeks. One was Aaron uh, Oliver. He stepped down at Minnetonka in Minnesota after 10 years as a head coach. Um, and this is kind of one of those almost unfortunate ones because according to the report that I read, Oliver was diagnosed with eye cancer in the past year. And he decided he said it was just time for him to step down, that he wanted to, to watch his own children um, play and uh, who will soon be entering high school across. And that's totally understandable. You know, I've talked to a lot of the high school coaches over the past couple of years that have decided to step down and family is generally the number one reason. Like a lot of coaches, um, they spend so much time coaching lacrosse that then they don't actually get too many opportunities to actually see their kids play. Uh, so it's one of those, like a lot of these guys, like when you kind of get to the point where like, all right, my kids are in high school or in some situations they're in college, like you're running out of time to watch them, watch them play their years of playing lacrosse is, is winding down and you don't want to miss those years. And, uh, for a lot of these guys, coaching will still be there if they decide to come back in, in four or five years, whenever, uh, if they decide to come back. So most of these guys have, have made a name for themselves. So, uh, Oliver stepping down at Minnetonka was one of the big news. And then, uh, Garnett Potter, the third, he stepped down at the coach at, out of Heartland in Michigan and he had been there for five seasons, which isn't a great amount of time. Um, but he went 55 and six over those last three seasons and 88 and 14 in his five years at the helm. It's one of those situations where, um, you know, Heartland has been a program that has been on, you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, I know Michael Ward is a huge fan of, of Heartland. And so it's one of those situations where you look at that and they've really been kind of building to potentially something great. So I expect the foundation that Potter has laid there will just kind of continue. And whoever takes over for him is just going to kind of continue that program. So and the way Michigan lacrosse is just kind of growing, uh, Heartland is a big school. And I would expect to see them um, year in, year out, kind of continue that that upward trend. Um, I think this was a note that Potter's son, Reese, he just graduated, and he is one of Michigan's top 10 scorers of all time. So I don't really think that's a coincidence. Obviously, I'm kind of speaking um, as an outsider looking in at the at the situation, but um, this is a situation that I, I've seen repeated over the years of high school and across again and again where coaches, you know, once their kid's through, uh, they got to watch them <laughs> the opposite situation of maybe an Oliver Minnetonka where he got to see his kid play firsthand and now that's done. And so it's time for someone else to take over and continue to, to grow the program. Um, so skipping back to the, the Northeast a little bit, this was another retirement that, you know, kind of took me by surprise a little bit. You know, it's one of those where Rich um, Puliscano announced his retirement after being the head coach at Cheshire in Connecticut since 1998. Um, he won 266 games 
in his tenure there and won two state championships in 2002 and 2010. Um, Cheshire is a program that traditionally is just a power in, in Connecticut. It's one of those year in, year out. You hear about them, you know about them. Um, and in coincident, not coincidentally, um, in almost the, the same breadth, his successor was announced, and it's Mike Devine. Um, he is a 2010 graduate of Cheshire, and he obviously played under Puliscano, and he also played uh, hockey while at the per- while at the school. So he has been an assistant at Cheshire for the last few years. So it's another program where I completely expect them to continue on with their winning ways. So uh, you know, uh, a uh, happy trails to Coach Puliscano and a welcome to the coaching ranks, uh, Coach Divide. So kind of a two two and one there. Um, so kind of moving on to the last few. New hires that I've been aware of is uh, Kennesaw Mountain out of Georgia got their new head coach when they introduced Kevin Pena on June 11th. Uh, Coach Pena has been on the Kennesaw Mountain staff for the last two years as an assistant, and he served as the defensive coordinator for the Mustangs in 2018. Um, Pena has taken over for Coach Jimmy uh, Whitmore, who has been there for the last few years. Uh, the Mustangs are coming off a 9-10 and 10 season, and many of you who listen to this podcast, who read my writing, are probably aware that, you know, uh, Kennesaw Mountain has Ben Hull, probably one of the top players in Georgia. He's a Michigan commit. He finished his junior year with more than 400 career points, and him, along with uh, Eric Molliver and uh, Brooks Barrow, are kind of a trio of Georgia players that are kind of making a, a full-out assault on the Georgia high school record book uh, over the last three years, obviously, but then they look to really kind of reshape the way that looks in uh, in 2020, just because it's one of those, like, uh, the Solomons have pretty much had a stranglehold on those top two spots for the last number of years, so it's going to be interesting to see where those trio of guys kind of end up and kind of shake up things, and I think it just kind of speaks to the, the landscape of high school lacrosse in Georgia, so it's going to be interesting to see what Coach Pena's got up in his up his sleeve, especially as a defensive coordinator. Um, you know, it could be one of those things. I think we saw, um, you know, drawing kind of a comparison. We saw Dylan Day at uh, Tecumseh in Michigan. He moved from attack to midfield, which kind of you know decreased his numbers but helped the team. Uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to kind of see anything of that. Like, is there going to be a, a change? So, anytime a new coach takes over, I also kind of look at DC is there going to be kind of any change to the system that they currently have? I'm sure they're obviously making some changes, but how is that going to kind of impact? Because obviously for me as someone who runs a high school lacrosse site that focuses mainly on uh, the history and statistics and stuff like that, that's the part I look at the most. Um, So that's going to be interesting to watch for me as well. Um, Another uh, couple, the last two that I'm I'm aware of at this point is Thomas, Thomas Worthington out of Ohio announced the hiring of Colin Lisi as its new head coach. Um, he's replacing John Hattleman, who served two seasons as the Cardinals head coach. Uh, this is another situation where Lisi is a graduate of Thomas Worthington. He played four years of lacrosse and football at the school, He, but he was an assistant coach at Delaware from 2014 to 2015, and he was a JV lacrosse coach at Dublin Kaufman, also in Ohio, from 2016 to 2018. So definitely another situation where a guy has you know, coming back to, to home a little bit. And also, like, he's got um, his, his bona fides with the with coaching as well, obviously being an assistant at Delaware and a JV lacrosse coach. Like, he was kind of moving in this direction to, to take over a program. And great for him to be able to take over his alma mater. And Thomas Worthington is a, uh, a name program in Ohio, so it's going to be interesting to watch to see 
see what they do because obviously Ohio lacrosse is another one as many of the states in the Midwest that is growing rapidly and uh, anytime you can kind of get experienced coaches into those programs it's only going to help the game grow and make it bigger and better um, for all of us to be honest with you. So kind of wrapping up some of the the other ones with Santa Margarita uh, out of California announced the hiring of Ryan Brent as its new boys lacrosse coach. Uh, Brent was the head coach at Crean Lutheran, also in California, and he was also a previous coach at Concordia University. Uh, Crean Lutheran went 16-1 and under Brent last year, so it's going to be another one. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how his uh, style translates. Uh, Santa Margarita is another program that I'm pretty familiar with. Um, they've had a few pretty solid players come out of their, their program in the last number of years, so you know another one of those. It's, it's not a change of state, but it's going to be interesting to see you know, as all with all these guys, I'm always looking to see like how their styles translate. You know, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, the feeder program has a very big impact on the the program and what these coaches are able to do. Like how much of a feeder program, how many students that are coming in already kind of know the system and know what's going on. So it's really just kind of reloading and not rebuilding. So these are the things that I'm always looking at when I see when I see these coaching changes. Um, but I think the biggest one, uh, is kind of hard to, to ignore. Like if you're listening this far and you're wondering why I haven't mentioned it, it's because I was saving it for, for last. As I mentioned, I'm going to have an interview coming up with, uh, Chris Goldberg from phillylacrosse.com because with, uh, the retirement of Bill Leahy at LaSalle College High School out of Pennsylvania, um, he is the winningest head coach in Pennsylvania history. He won 512 games in his career. And just to give you a little bit of context, he won 82% of his games. He went 5-12 and 1-15 in his career. At this point in time, he is the only coach in Pennsylvania history to win 500 career games, and he's just one of 19 in the nation to have won at least 500 career games. This was another bit of a stunner um, because Leahy is he's he's not that old. Um, I believe he's in his in his early 50s. Uh, and it's one of those, like, he's been such a staple. He's been at LaSalle since 1992. He's been such a staple to that program and to the Philly lacrosse scene that it was it was a bit of a stunner when I saw it um, first announced. I guess uh, Ty Zanders initially broke the news, and then LaSalle College uh, very quickly put out a press release to kind of confirm that it was indeed the case that Leahy uh, was was moving on, and as we'll we'll get get a little bit more into it with Chris Goldberg uh, here in a minute, but I wanted to kind of focus on this one because I think with him and the previously mentioned John Nostrant moving on from Haverford School, those are the two top winningest coaches in Pennsylvania history, and that's just interesting because obviously it's it's rare. That you know, I can't, I'm trying to think back to years whenever we've had the top two guys in any state uh, retire, step down, move on uh, in the same year. Like, I think a number of years ago, the MIAA out of Maryland, uh, Coach Shriver stepped down, Coach Bricado stepped down. Um, there was a couple changes that had stepped, but obviously Coach Shriver was the number one guy in that conference. But then you know, Bricado he wasn't number two. But then also it was it was separated by a year or two, like it didn't happen all at once. So it was almost like you had one new guy come in, and the next year you had another new guy. So um, that, I was just trying to think, you know, last year in New York, we had Mike Masser, Kirk Quattro, and there's another member that I'm just drawing a blank on that stepped down. So we had three big New York coaches step down last year, 
And but you know, it was one of those with Messier stepping down. Obviously, he was a legend of the game. Uh, and so him stepping down was a big deal. And then Brendan Quattro stepping down because he's coached the Pals and a number of guys. Like I think I have a previous podcast with him where he's coached more guys in the 400 club than any other coach in history. Um, so that was notable. I mean, obviously, uh, had to pick his brain on what what makes those players special. But it's. It's rare that you get the top two coaches in a state to step down in the same year. Um, different situations. Uh, Bill Leahy, he's just walking away. He decided, uh, as we'll kind of talk in with, with Chris, he wanted to spend time with his family and, like, his uh, kids were playing lacrosse, and he wants to watch them play. So, uh, And then Coach Nostrand, he's stepping down from Haverford School, and as I mentioned, he's going to Gilman School out of the MIA in Maryland. So it's, it's one of those just – situations where you kind of look to see obviously Haverford School they're a program and LaSalle College they're a program that has been built um, kind of battle-hardened over over decades so those two programs are going to be fine they're going to be okay um, obviously Haverford School already has their coach in place he was actually an assistant on the staff this year so he's kind of got his feel of the the program and the school already um, whoever takes over LaSalle College which at the time of this recording I have not heard who that will be I don't know if they have Someone in place, uh, Chris Goldberg, he mentions a few names of possibilities that may may be able to take over that program. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. And uh, But it's just notable that the top two guys in the state have both retired, stepped down, moved on in, in the same year and really kind of changed the landscape of uh, uh, of lacrosse in, in Philly. Because, I mean, these, these are two guys, I think, uh, no strength got there. In 92 or 93, so it's kind of notable that, you know, the two guys that have been there the longest, and these are programs that year in, year out are nationally ranked. Uh, you know, LaSalle College, I think they want, they finished number one in the nation um, kind of early on. I think it was right when I kind of started following um, high school lacrosse. I remember watching them and Gilman play at Gilman School. Uh, a number of years ago, I think that was 2008, 2009, I think Gilman or one of those programs were ranked number one. And then obviously I've seen Haverford School play a number of times over the years. So it's just interesting um, to see how this stuff's going to kind of play out. So uh, definitely notable uh, coaching changes from around the country. If you have any more, if there's anybody uh, that you know of that I did not mention, um, I know someone had sent me an email about the Lawrenceville School head coach. I have not got a chance to kind of really dig into that, so we'll save that for a later podcast when I'm sure we'll be getting more coaching changes. Obviously, the hiring of uh, Leahy's uh, successor will kind of make big news because that's obviously a program that you want to know who's going to be taking over. Um, and obviously, any of these guys that I mentioned that have either stepped down or moved on where they end up or who their successors are will probably make news and be on a future podcast. But for now, I want to kind of get into the interview with Chris Goldberg from phillylacrosse.com because of anybody that has covered the Philly lacrosse scene. Chris is the absolute expert, and uh, he definitely has some some ideas and thoughts about how Leahy and Nostrant have impacted the not only Philly lacrosse scene, Pennsylvania lacrosse scene, but kind of what they mean to the national landscape. Because again, these are guys that you know have been doing it year in year out. They have had their teams ranked nationally many, 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 many times. And it's just kind of sad to see them kind of moving on and not really going to be roaming the sidelines in the same area again uh, for Chris. So let's get in an interview with uh, Chris Goldberg. With with Leahy's re- retirement, like, and I guess I, I kind of, you know, stepping back, like, yeah, I was thinking about it today. 
you know, it's not really the first time that I guess we've had a number of legendary coaches uh, step down in the same same year. I mean, I even think back to last year in New York, like uh, obviously Masser, he, he it was his last season, took West Jenny to the state championship game. It was Coach, uh, Coach Benny Quattro at Carthage. He stepped down, um, and I am forgetting someone out of New York. Oh, Coach Craig at West Islip, like he stepped down. Uh, but I guess, you know, I think New York, like New York is so spread out. Um, and I think when Baltimore and the MIA, like, I don't think Bricado and Shriver retired in the same year. Um, well, I think they, those were kind of, yeah, it was kind of like they a, year were only apart. a year apart. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, for, for Philly, for them, I guess you guys to lose No Strand and, and Leahy kind of in the same, in the same year, like, first, like, what did those two guys really mean to the Philly lacrosse scene? Oh, they they've meant a tremendous amount. Uh, uh, you know, Leahy started this program from scratch in '92, and you know I remember he told me a lot about how he you know he went to Penn Charter and met up with Tony Resch and to get some experience and, and play against that team when Tony Resch was coaching and you know they were really almost a JV program at that time and just. Uh, slowly built it up and they became a very strong team in the late nineties into the two thousands and then started winning state championships. And I, you know, the quality of the school and the quality of the program helped attract, you know, top flight players, obviously that Tucker Durkin and Matt Rambo are two of the best players ever to come out of Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, the program is just built on itself. And then Tony Resch came in as an assistant coach, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years ago. So they've had great coaching there. And it's just been such a strong program that, you know, he's uh, you know, almost been expected to win a state title every year. That's one thing he's had to deal with. But, uh, you know, and, and it's that program has spawned some coaches too, the Foresters and, uh, it, it's been a, just a tremendous program. Uh, so, you know, Bill Leahy, uh, you know, will, will leave a legacy, but that's, that program is going to stay very strong, I'm sure, for a long time. I, mean, I would assume they can get a really good coach. And if Tony Resch sticks around and the other coaches, they, they have a great, you know, foundation that they've built over these years. So it'll continue to be very strong. But uh, yeah, it's 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 tough to lose them. I've gotten to know them pretty well over the years, and it's uh it's a, it's a great program. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I've, I've, it's been crazy. like Coach Lay. He's always he's always been great. Like it's he's one of those coaches where if I email him, usually I just get a return phone call. Like I usually if I'm like, hey, you got time to talk? You know, sometime. And then you know, I usually get you know he'll almost always just call me back rather than send me an email. Um, so you know he's always been been fantastic. Like I was kind of one of those coaches that was sad to hear um, when he decided like he was retiring, kind of thing. I'm like, oh, you know, it's just one of those guys. It's always been been a pleasure to to talk with and work with over the years. Um, <clears throat> so when you look at, you know, obviously I know their circumstances are different, but obviously no strand when he got there in the Philly area, what, ninety. I don't have it in front of me. Ninety two. Um, was, I don't know if he was the same year. It was close to that, but I, I can't recall what his first year was after he came from St. Albans. Was it that? Was it the same year that Leahy got there? I, I want to say like it might. It was either '92 or '93, because um, I know he spent one year at, at Albans, um, and that may have been '92. So it may have been '93 when he got to Haverford. I, I 
I know I have it written down somewhere. I just can't remember what, what year it was, but it was, you know, right around that same time. Um, how did you perceive, like, was there any, like, obviously with no strength, obviously him leaving is a much more heralded event than I would have to imagine them, him arriving. Um, what was your perception? Like, were you covering lacrosse in Philly or were you like, how, how aware were you of lacrosse, the Philly lacrosse scene at that point in time? No, I, I, I started the site in 2008 and we really started covering it in 2007 boys. I had covered a lot of girls from the eighties on, but you know, boys lacrosse didn't, was only really big on the main line area in, in the nineties. And it didn't pick up all around until, until the 2000s, and I was not covering much boys at that time. And when I got on the scene in 2007, you know, and and Mal and and Haverford, along with Malvern Prep, were you know the preeminent powers. But you know when John Nostrand built at Haverford School, and yeah, when they won, when they lost in the championship game this year, the Malvern Prep really told me what happened was the way John McAvoy coached at Malvern Prep talked about John Nostrand. He said, you know, they made Philly lacrosse because they made all of us have to get that much better to have a chance to beat them. And he had so much respect for, for John Nostrand and those two were, you know, great friends and great rivals, but great friends. He felt so bad for him that he lost almost as bad as, as good as he felt for his own team because they, they've definitely raised the level and they've gone out to Baltimore and gone all over the country and beaten just about everybody and won two national championships, 2011, 2015 with undefeated teams. And, and, uh, just an incredible, I can't remember if they were undefeated the second time, but they're just an incredible, uh, program that he's built there. So respected as a coach and, uh, you know, he'll go on and do great things at Gilman for sure. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's been the measuring stick, without a doubt, of the for the Philadelphia program. Yeah, you you mentioned the the measuring stick. What do you think those two guys like? You know, obviously they're they're massive in the the Philly scene, but obviously Haverford is almost yearly ranked um, in the you know top ten, top fifteen, if not if not higher some years. And then obviously LaSalle is another one of those teams that usually gets in there in there somewhere. Like, what do you think those two coaches who built those programs, their impact is on, on the larger scale? Oh, they've helped put Philly on the map um, all around. And then, obviously, in Philadelphia, they LaSalle, everybody wants to beat them. Haverford, same thing, everybody wants to beat them. So that clearly raises the level of all Philadelphia lacrosse. And, you know, they've helped give Philadelphia – you know, a reputation as one of the top hotbeds uh, without a shadow of a doubt with the teams they produced and the individual players they produced. Uh, you know, they just, they've, they've raised that level and made it so that people look to Philadelphia for, you know, for top teams and top talent. You know, there's no question about that. But the Haverford did with those two national championship teams and they've seen both schools produce players that have gone on. God, this year, Penn State's team, which had Grant Amen, uh, TJ Malone as a freshman starting, and you saw and uh, Chris Davey on defense. Just uh, unbelievable season for them. You know, those are Haverford grads that just, uh, you know, 
took Penn State to be number one for the whole year until the last last weekend of the year. So uh, they 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 produce great players and you know raise that level. Yeah, I would think um, one of my uh, my memories early on when I was you know back, this was back when I was working at ESPN. I remember talking to a, a college coach on the on the sideline. I was at I, we were just kind of chit chatting about recruiting and stuff like that. And uh, no Stratton Haverford. So this was in 2009 2010. Um, he told me basically like when they're looking at kids, if he's like you know they'll take a flyer on the third string midi at a Haverford school than maybe like a first string kid. At another school, he's like, because we know what we're getting out of Haverford kids. He's like, you know, they like, it's, and to me, that was just kind of the ultimate compliment. It's like, all right, you know what you're getting, even though you know the kid may not be starting at that point in time. Like, he had just had such a reputation at that point that, you know, college coaches almost they they counted on those kids. Like, it was that it's a known quantity. It's like, you know, you know, you know oh. what you're getting out of those guys, and you know how they're being coached and the quality of player. Oh sure, it's the program they're coming out of, the competition they've been playing. Obviously, Haverford played the national schedule. You know, LaSalle's non-league games are usually against Hill, Malvern, Haverford, Conestoga. You know, other they they've gone out to play everybody, especially when they've been really good, which they've been just about every single year. Yeah. So you know, they know. You know, whenever I do my all Philly lacrosse teams at the end of the year, John Nostrand will say. Well, you know, these kids are great. I've coached some of them in Mesa or coached against them, but you got to remember the level of competition that we're playing. You know, almost every team's a top 20 team out of the Interact and, you know, many of the teams in the Interact. So because they're playing that level, you know, they've got to be that good and they've got to be that well coached. So, you know, that's what you see. That's why Matt Rambo went and won a Tawarton Award, first one from Philly ever the level of play he was at, the kind of competition he faced. So that was no surprise. Yeah. So with those guys stepping down, like, does it change anything? Well, I know, you know, Haverford School, obviously, they already have the replacement. Um, I mean, at this point, I have not heard if LaSalle already has someone in mind. Um, I didn't see the announcement. Um, I'm I'm assuming you will have that (laughs) As as soon as that happens. But, like, how do you kind of see those two? That is there a vacuum created with those two guys leaving? I mean, like what what kind of happens in the Philly landscape with those two? I mean, they're they're legends. No, it's not that these, easy to replace a legend. These programs are so strong; they're they're going to continue. Brendan Dawson coached college at two two Philly colleges, Widener and Haverford College, and he's you know he obviously knows the system now, but he coached this year with Haverford. Very highly respected. He's going to do a great job, and I'm sure LaSalle will get a top coach. Uh, I, I don't really know where they are yet. I think it's way too early in the process for looking for a coach to even comment on it, even if I knew, which I don't. At the, I mean, I've heard stuff, but again, it's so early. They're they're right. going to be a great coach, or if it's Tony Resch, one of the best coaches in the country at any level. So uh, there's no question that these programs will continue. There's plenty of talent in both of them, and they're going to sustain the, the types of programs that are going to sustain themselves in schools that are going to be sure to bring in a great coach. Uh, I, I don't think anyone has to worry about the, either one of them staying up at near the top year after year. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, that, that said, though, those, those two great coaches, I mean, 
Yeah, I guess Nostrand had what four? I'm looking at your lax records. He had four seventy-five. Was that before the year, or was that? Uh, yeah, I haven't that that part. It's uh, four ninety-two. Um, yeah, I think I, I updated the, the the Pennsylvania page. I haven't gotten a chance to update the the national pages. I'm not through all the coaches yet, but I think yeah, Nostrand had. I think it was four ninety-two. And Lay's got five twelve. Yeah, so that is one two all time in Pennsylvania coaches. But, yeah, but but uh, you know they they were phenomenal coaches. But I think besides how good of coaches they were, it's the programs they built that are so strong that uh, you know there's a great opportunity for these new coaches, Coach Dawson, and whoever comes into LaSalle to continue that legacy. Yeah, you know obviously. Um, one of those like for those guys have made such a impact because they've been doing it for so long in the area but who are some other of the coaches um in the the philly area that you know maybe now maybe i don't want to say say that but like for people who may not be quite as familiar outside of those two you know obviously mcavoy's got to be one of them because um malvin preps another historically nationally ranked team but who are some of the other um philly great coaches uh that people should be aware of if they are not already well, in the interact, you have Chris Bates, who was a highly successful college coach at Episcopal. So there's one right there that no one can dispute. And he's coaching in the pro level. So yeah. he's quite, <laughs> he can't do much better than that. <laughs> um, you know, at Springfield, you've got Tom Lemieux, who's really, really highly respected, fantastic coach. And, Let's think of my recent coaches of the year. Boy, Bishop Shanahan, two-time state champion now. You know, John Heisman, he was my coach of the year last year, and he's, but he he must be in like the 460s and wins. And he's been coaching for a long, long, long time. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, there's there's many other you know great coaches in Philadelphia that you know have 300 and 400 wins. It's it's a place people, a region people like to coach because the, the kids are, you know, so intense in the across. You know, we've, we've got the travel programs, many great ones. And so I think you know, there won't be any problem attracting and developing great coaches in in the region. I, I, I see that there the people come up through the ranks and then there's going to be others that, that come here to coach because it's a great place to coach. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's one of those areas, and plus, it's, I guess it seems, seems like it's obviously very reminiscent of the Baltimore area, and just the fact that you know a lot of the schools are sort of close-ish together, um, so you know that breeds rivalry to begin with, and then just the, uh, the obviously the amount of talent that that I mean, it's not that small, but you know that smallish area compared to you know a state like New York where it's much more spread out, right? It's just a little nuts, like when you think about it. Like, I mean, obviously, the popular like what the population is, but you think of the amount of talent versus the amount of just general people that are in that eight, in that pool is, uh, is crazy. <laughs> I, mean, just... I mean, we had, we had a, at the Hill school, which is a nice program, a college coach, division one coach, Mike, Mike Murphy came, uh, last year, this past year, uh, to come to the Hill school to be a head coach. So, you know, that, that's pretty neat to have another former division one coach come in, uh, just a, it's a great, really great school. I know it pretty well. So, you know, you see that happening. Uh, obviously, people are interested in coaching in the Philadelphia region. Yeah, yeah. 
So, all right. Well, um, you know, tell everybody like where where can they find you um, online, and where should they where should they be checking you out at? Especially if you have the next story on who's the next coach at yeah. LaSalle College is going to be. Yeah. Well. Uh, well, it's, it's phillylacrosse.com or on Instagram and Twitter at phillylacrosse. And uh, I've been around since the beginning of 2008, and it's been a pleasure to cover lacrosse in the region. It's a lot of fun, and uh, there's a lot of great coaches, a lot of great players, and and uh, the community supports lacrosse tremendously. So it's great to be around in the area. Yeah, and I'll link. Uh, I assume you, if you don't already, um, I'm sure you'll have a story on on Leahy and his, you know, legacy. So I'll be sure like, if you get that out. Um, the yeah, podcast that's... will be out on Sunday, so I'll make sure to link link over to that as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, the story went up yesterday. I okay. spoke to him um, when I when I saw when I saw it was out. Uh, Inside Lacrosse mentioned it, and then uh, I spoke with Coach Leahy, and uh, he's. Felt very happy to to kind of go out on top, if you want to call it that. He, you know, it's really just family, and I, I totally understand that. He got two teenage children, and uh, and his daughter plays lacrosse, and he, I think he said he got to see her play twice. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you know, his son's coming up into LaSalle, so you know, his hey, he'll get back into coaching one day. He, he did mention that. I'm sure he will when his kids get grown up. So. We haven't heard the last of them, probably. All right, everybody. That's it for episode 73 of the Around the Crease podcast. I wanted to throw this here at the end real quick because I think we're going to go to more of a bi-weekly format uh, for the next probably few months just because it's one of those situations where <laughs> there's not that much high school lacrosse news to talk about for a weekly thing. Um, I'll definitely we'll bring Michael Ward back um, kind of once our schedules kind of realign. I've been really busy, as many of you, if you follow me on Twitter, which you can do that, at Lax Records, um, and also on Instagram, at Lax Records, Facebook.com slash Lax Records. I'm kind of in the middle or at the very beginning stages of a very big off-season project that I hope to be able to unveil to everybody over the next few months to let you know what's going on. But, you know, we kind of that's going to take up a lot of my time over the next few months. So I think it's probably best for um, the podcast just so we don't – skip too many weeks is just to do a bi-weekly and that'll kind of so you don't look for an episode next sunday but you know every two weeks we should be be able to keep that schedule um and obviously follow me on twitter if there's any updates on that i will let you know right there so everybody for now have a week <laughs>